Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Who will be the first critic to say, I was wrong about Bitcoin? How many decades must the Bitcoin network persist before the staunchest of Bitcoin haters like Krugman and Rubini swallow their pride and admit that it was all just a big misunderstanding? How many trillions of dollars in value will the Bitcoin network, a once-in-a-millennia monetary phenomenon growing at an unprecedented pace with unstoppable momentum, have to capture to convince everyone that it's here to stay? What if the internet was created so that Bitcoin could be possible, a precursor technology to a more advanced, self-sustaining, stateless, leaderless, permissionless living network sustained by pure electricity, greed, and more importantly, human ingenuity, allowing our civilization to advance towards its necessary and inevitable discovery of better money. The irony is that Bitcoin is ownerless, yet we're all its owners, a network that exists solely for one purpose, to mathematically, cryptographically, and programmatically keep its ledger honest and to preserve the objective truth about its history. That's it, simple and elegant. Driven by rules without rulers, it is fueled by ideas and ideals that are aspirational and inspirational. To those that fell into the rabbit hole, nobody today can claim that they truly comprehend the impact of such an invention, a network, a technology created by, of all people, an anonymous programmer whose identity will probably be forever a mystery, an inventor that did not seek glory, fame, or money. He gave what would easily be a life's work to society for free. And in doing so, a deep need was fulfilled, the need for better money. Bitcoin is a phenomenon whose birth we are lucky to witness today. It's a monetary network that has no allegiances, no political biases, no discrimination, no exclusion with total indifference to anything external to its protocol, unheard of in today's divided world. No wonder why the very first forms of writing were ledgers, accounting records of who owns what and how much, and who owes what and to whom. It's important, literally. The first form of written communication was money. The Bitcoin network is also a form of written communication with its internal workings readable in English. Each transaction broadcast in plain text using mathematics, the one language the entire universe understands. It's a communication of ownership and value. It's like rye stones that exist in duplicatable and incorruptible form everywhere all the time, yet still inherently maintains the elements of scarcity and unforgeable costliness that make it work by design. Some people say gold is better because it was created by the forces of nature, that it is real, and that it has intrinsic value to them. I say what that human intelligence and ingenuity is a force of nature, and with much more intrinsic value than a noble metal. We learn to harness energy 
and combine it with technology to recreate the properties that make gold a very good form of money. But in the form of technology and with none of its limitations, Bitcoin is money that is better suited for the next generation's networked age. So who is it going to be? When will they finally admit it? Honestly, who cares? Definitely not the Bitcoin network. It is 6.06 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 6th of November, 2020, and this is episode 316 of Bitcoin. And that was Miguel Cuneta. That is at Miguel Cuneta, C-U-N-E-T-A on Twitter. Highly recommend uh, following this gentleman. That was a nice piece. That was a Twitter thread of his, by the way. I just thought I'd, I'd start the show out with that because the man was is pretty elegant and uh, eloquent. That was some, that was some powerful writing right there. That's not bad. Um, let's see. What do we got up here in these, what in my stack after Miguel? Oh God, I've got, Oh, uh, Bitteru. Um, I've got a tweet up here that says, and another exchange to get into the lightning network game, albeit that we have to wait for the formal launch just a bit. And what I'm talking about is this, uh, I came across this uh, exchange between Adam Back and Ethan at Bitaroo. That's B-I-T-A-R-O-O. Now, this is Australian, so if you're you know, out, not an Australian, you may not be able to have access to it. But anyway, Bitaroo Exchange is, uh, it's, you know, it's a cryptocurrency exchange, but they are, they're doing lightning, man. And we got more lightning news today. So another exchange, yet another exchange is figuring out, oh my God, we can do all this stuff on lightning and we can, we, we don't have to, you know, jam pack the main chain. We don't have to worry about the fees. We can just use lightning. What does this mean? It means lightning fees are going to go up y'all. And then a third layer is going to be built on top of the second layer. I don't know what that's called, but I'm sure somebody's working on it. And just like we can, uh, some people can batch a bunch of lightning transactions all together and just make it look like one transaction on the main chain to save even yet more fees. The third layer is probably going to do the same. It's probably going to be a situation where there's a whole bunch of lightning trans or uh, third layer transactions that are all compressed into one lightning transaction. And thousands of lightning transactions are all compressed into one Bitcoin transaction. This is how we scale. Okay, when, when Roger Ver tells you that there's no way that this can work, you, you cannot believe these people. Just stop it. It's all FUD. Now, what else is next? Oh, yes, before we get into a little bit more uh, lightning, let's talk about Square and PayPal a little bit. Not happy with Square. I, I, I have to admit it. I mean, I use them, but I'm not happy with the actions of Square as of late. Um, it's not fees. It's not, you know, it's not that they went into shit coinery. It's that they pulled the plug on it. They've pulled their, okay, not one or two. Apparently this has happened quite a bit, but they pulled the plug on people's accounts. And this, and I'm not going to read the, the tweet or talk about who it is, but, you know, somebody was uh, bitching on Twitter that they, they got their account pulled. And it looks to me what the, that they're saying that it looks to them that they got a thousand dollars sitting in, in their, uh, uh, cash app and, uh, their cash app is not, did I say PayPal? I've meant that I'm not happy with cash app right now. Okay. If I did say PayPal, I'm sorry. I'm not happy with PayPal either. That 
screw that company. But still, you know, now we, I got Cash App that's acting like PayPal. I don't want that. That's not what I wanted. Jack, get your shit and get your ducks in a row. Stop doing this. You cannot just take people's money. Give this gentleman or, or woman their money back and go on your way and stop, stop pulling the plug on people. Because you're starting to piss us off. We had your back. And if you, if you do this shit very much longer, we are not going to have your back. And we're, we're, we're just not. We've put up with shit like this before. We've given people three or four chances that come into the space and try to be, you know, hey, this is cool. Yay, look, it's this guy. And, and then they fuck it all up. You are, not, you are not beyond the realm where you can fuck this up. And you are heading down that path. Stop it. Anyway, <clears throat> with that said, I have Charles Edwards, who is say this is at uh, C-A-P-R-I-O-L-E-I-O. I have no idea how to pronounce that, but his name seems to be Charles Edwards. And he says, and this is sometime this morning, this is huge. Square is selling double the Bitcoin that is made, you know, produced. And now PayPal is doing the same. <clears throat> PayPal is almost 3x square. We already know Grayscale is consuming a similar magnitude. This is a Bitcoin supply crisis. Base case, expect huge price moves from Bitcoin. So he doesn't, the thing that sucks about this tweet is that I don't know that Square is selling double the amount of Bitcoin that is produced by mining. I mean, uh, he just didn't include a, I mean, the, I've, I've read that before, but in, in a tweet like this, it'd be nice to actually have the, you know, like a subtweet or a, a tweet uh, thread that shows the different stories of where the information is coming from. So let's, let's just go ahead and assume this is true. Man, that's a, that's a, that is a supply crisis. And it's not like yesterday when we started seeing some major movements to the upside on Bitcoin price. Um, I saw at least two tweets, <clears throat> two, or rather two pieces of evidence that suggested that there was just, we're running out of Bitcoin to sell. And if we're running out of Bitcoin to sell and people want Bitcoin, what do you think happens? It's the one thing in economics that you were taught as a child that is actually true. If there's a lot of demand and very little supply, the price has this tendency to go up. I call it number go up technology. <laughs> Let's see where uh, maybe this one will, will shed some light, at least on the square issue with uh, consuming Bitcoin. This is Jeff Benson writing for Decrypt.co. Square doubles quarterly Bitcoin revenue to $1.6 billion. People are increasingly buying Bitcoin from Square's cash app. <clears throat> In a letter to shareholders today, Square reported revenue from Bitcoin sales of $1.63 billion from its cash app for a gross profit of $32 million during the third quarter of 2020. That represents a 1,100% increase from Q3 of 2019 revenues. Revenue is also up from the second quarter of 2020 when Square raked in $875 billion from consumers buying Bitcoin on the Cash App. According to the letter, Bitcoin revenue and gross profit benefited from an increase in Bitcoin activities and volume per customer. Bitcoin is a key part of Cash App's offerings, which also lets users buy stock and auto-invest for stocks 
or Bitcoin in addition to sending and receiving cash. Still, though it generates high revenues, Bitcoin isn't a main profit center. The $32 million in gross profit from Bitcoin is a fraction of the $385 million gross profit from Cash App in total. Moreover, the letter explains why the company points to $435 million in revenue from the Cash App, which excludes Bitcoin revenue. Quote, we deduct Bitcoin revenue because our, sole, our role is to facilitate customers' access to Bitcoin. When customers buy Bitcoin through Cash App, we only apply a small margin to the market cost of Bitcoin, which tends to be volatile and outside of our control. On a call explaining the report, Square CEO Jack Dorsey reiterated that the company believes Bitcoin will become the native currency of the Internet. That goes beyond making it available for purchase via Cash App. The company also holds Bitcoin on its book. Uh, in October, Square purchased 4,709 Bitcoin, then worth $50 million. That purchase, when combined with MicroStrategy's strong Bitcoin buys and PayPal's entry into the Bitcoin market space or into the Bitcoin space, may help explain why Square's Bitcoin is now worth closer to $72 million. Again, I must reiterate: Jack, get your shit together. You, you can't. Uh, well, okay, you can. You can shut down people's accounts, not give them any explanation whatsoever, leave them hanging while $1,000 is just chilling out in the freaking, you know, ether. Yeah, you can. I don't recommend it. I don't think that that's good business practice. You know what? I think it's really shitty business practice to have a customer and just pull the plug on them and be so disdainful of their existence that you just don't even give him an explanation as to why. This guy's going, I don't know what I did. He's, he's confused as to why, why uh, Square uh, decided to pull his ass from the cash app. He has no clue. Why on earth would you run a business? Even, why would you start a business with the intention of not telling your customers why you don't want to do business with them? Do you think anybody that was successful woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to start a company and if, if I have to do something bad to a customer, I'm just really not going to give a shit about telling that customer what happened. It Really? So, Jack, you, really, you and your team need to get your shit together and stop doing this kind of crap to people. Stop acting like the people that we are sworn to destroy. Because honestly, if you keep acting this way, we're not going to be able to differentiate you from the Federal Reserve, <clears throat> the assholes that we're supposed to vote for, the rest of the world governments, because at one point or another, the world's population is going to stand up, link arms, and tell the world governments to fuck off. It's coming. It's coming. You don't want to look like the enemy. If you continue to do this, we won't be able to tell you apart from assholes. So get your shit together. Lightning operators are bracing for a Bitcoin bull run. This was written yesterday by Alyssa Hertig for Coindesk.com. With the price of Bitcoin jumping to a fresh 2020 high last month, those running the digital currency's underlying infrastructures are pondering the consequences. Namely, the routing node operators at the heart of the Bitcoin's Lightning Network are busily bracing for the curious new users that usually come with a bull run. <clears throat> Bitcoin's Lightning Network promises faster and cheaper payments without the occasionally crazy fees associated with the underlying Bitcoin network. The platform is still new. 
in Bitcoin time having launched for real payments in 2018, such as, or rather as such, it has its kinks. Developers still call, still call using it reckless. <laughs> Hashtag reckless. That was fun. Because it's new enough that it may be hiding bugs that could lead to loss of funds. Would the network be able to handle an influx of new users suddenly jumping to the Lightning Network? Whether it can or not, those who, are run, those who run routing nodes <clears throat> are busily preparing for such a scenario. Bitcoin Lightning routing nodes are the ones tasked with passing on payments through the network until they reach their destination. Many operators of Lightning routing nodes are beefing up their nodes to make sure that they can help to support a sudden increase in users. But first... Why would Bitcoin users move to Lightning? One word, fees, brother. Bitcoin fees are now higher than they've been in more than two years, reaching an average of $13 per transaction. With Lightning, users can avoid these fees. I'm going to caveat that for now. Okay, it, it's, never, it's never too late to remind anybody that wasn't there during the uh, Segwit2x debacle to remind everybody, it's never too late to remind everybody that doesn't know about what happened, that we got into that whole big block mess because we didn't gird ourselves against people who were spreading FUD. It didn't look like FUD. That's why we missed it. This is exactly why we had Roger Ver running around being the apostle and the Bitcoin Jesus guy and all that shit. But all the time, he was misrepresenting what Bitcoin actually was because he didn't understand it either. It's You are hard-pressed to find somebody who will say, yeah, sit you down and look at you square in the face and say, yes, I understand all the implications of Bitcoin. I understand every single bit of the underlying technology. No, you do not. We are all learning. I don't blame Roger for saying that shit, saying that they're that the uh, super fast and totally no fees and completely anonymous. And he said all of that and he was not right. He was, he was incorrect. I don't blame him for being incorrect. <clears throat> I blame him for clinging on to the shit that he thought was right. When it became very clear that what he thought was right was clearly fucking wrong. Right. It's not free. It's not anonymous. And it's not quick. Okay. It's like one of those things where it's like, hey, here's three options. You can pick two. And it's like fast, cheap, and effective. Well, any software developer will probably tell you, well, you can have two of those, but you can't have all three. And that goes into lots of different designs. But anyway, when she says that uh, avoid these fees, what she needs to be saying is with Lightning, Users can avoid these fees for now. Continue. Quote, higher Bitcoin prices go hand in hand with higher transaction fees for on-chain payments. Tudor, Tudor Iova, a lightning routing node operator and founder of BTC Factura, told Coindesk. He also noted he has seen more users tapping lightning as fees have risen. In contrast, lightning payments usually costs less than a cent, making the payment method more and more attractive as fees rise. That said, setting up a Lightning channel, a means for sending Lightning payments, requires a Bitcoin transaction. It's kind of like a one-time setup fee for creating a Lightning account. <clears throat> Say Alice puts $50 into a Lightning account and pays a $3 fee. Once that's done, 
She can make as many transactions as she needs with that $50, like 16 transactions for 16 cups of coffee. Jeez, how much are you paying for your coffee? Brew your own coffee at home, people. Stop doing this stupid shit. With the Lightning Network, fees for each transaction will be negligible, averaging roughly a Satoshi, which is worth a fraction of a cent. Again, caveat, for now. Just wait, okay? Just chill. Channels are the lifeblood of the Lightning Network. They also, <clears throat> they're also the means by which the Lightning routing nodes pass along payments to others. But again, creating such channels requires on-chain transactions, which can be expensive when the network is congested. More transactions in the Bitcoin mempool, a waiting area for transactions, means higher fees. Lightning routers are actively scouting out the best times to open channels. We're all watching the mempool very closely to find opportunities to open Lightning channels inexpensively as the extra space in blocks dries up completely, said pseudonymous Lightning, route, Lightning Routing Node Operator Justifer. Justifer expects the block space to become more scarce when and if a bull run commences. This happened last week, for instance, after the price shot up. <clears throat> Another point routers are keeping in mind is that fees are usually lower on the weekends, when users are spending fewer transactions, lightning routers are busy learning and researchers <clears throat> researching the best ways to tackle these issues so that if a bunch of new users flock to the network, payments will remain smooth. What we are doing and suggesting our users do is to open lightning channels on the weekend when the fees peak off. Later during the week, you can use lightning payments to avoid horrendous fees, else you can end up paying a fee that is higher than the price of the goods purchased, Iova said. Routing nodes are also open channels with a variety of, wait a minute, hold on. Routing nodes are also open channels with a variety of peers designed to reduce failed transactions and to make the overall network more robust so payments don't fail for users. Quote, we are preparing ourselves for a bull run by opening new channels and improving our lightning node connectivity to other nodes in order to make it possible for users to use nodes Transylvania for payments. Oh, to use our node named Transylvania for payments and routing when necessary, Iova said. The other trick is that once a lightning channel is open, that's not necessarily the end of the struggle. Quote, lightning requires a lot of liquidity management, which is unfamiliar to most folks outside of Wall Street, end quote, just said. <clears throat> in short, it's not enough to just put money into a lightning network or into the lightning network. The money needs to be moved to the right spots in order for a routing node to build a path that can be used to send payments for users, not to mention every time a payment is made by a routing node, routing node, this liquidity is moved around. So routing nodes need to constantly be managing where the coins are. God, no shit. My lightning node is, I was looking at my, uh, my lightning uh, channels and they're a mess. Why? Because I suck at it. That's why. More on that later. In fact, there's an entire Telegram channel, LN Mutual Balance Channels, devoted to helping Fellow Lightning users find peers and liquidity for their channels. Justifer recently created a poll there asking fellow routing node operators <clears throat> what they're doing to prepare for a bull run. The most votes went to consolidating liquidity into few larger channels and opening channels to routing peers to build more connections with the network. Quote, I think the shared goal is to find out how to operate routing nodes in a sustainable way where we don't have to clog up the mempool when it gets expensive, Justifer said, pointing to Lightning Loop and Thunder Hub as useful tools for boosting liquidity where needed. Startup Lightning Labs also released a new marketplace Monday for buying and selling liquidity, 
an innovative way of addressing this issue. Um, let's stop there and go right into what they're talking about. This is that um, lightning <clears throat> lightning loop thing, or light. Let's go into well, actually not lightning loop. Let's go into lightning pool and talk talk about this <clears throat> um, because it, it marries right into what they're talking about. So as people are starting to figure out that we really got we got to get off the stick on this lightning thing. I do. I mean, if if you're listening and it's like, dude, I I got my I got ducks in rows. I'm like, then good, good for you. I don't. I got literally a channel that has zero balance on one side. Okay, you know, I I can't do everything, y'all. I mean, shit. But let's find out if this tool might help a brother out. This is BTC Times's Nick Chong writing on November the second. <clears throat> Lightning Labs rolls out marketplace for Lightning Channel liquidity. By the way, this is BTC Times. Lightning Network development startup Lightning Labs is rolling out a new product dubbed Lightning Pool. The new tool seeks to bring together node operators to trade across inbound and outbound Lightning or Lightning Channel capacity with each other. With the launch, Lightning Labs tackles one of the Lightning Network's major pain points, efficient capital allocation, and through that, increased overall liquidity. Okay, now I talked about this on like, was it either Tuesday or Monday or something like that? But this is so important. And now the, the what was, you know, Lightning Pool was released, but now that it's been released, we can kind of take a look at it. I'm going to be taking a look at Lightning Pool several times. So this is, if, if you're saying, hey, you've already read this. No, I haven't. This is now one of the first pieces of digested news over the Lightning Pool uh, news release that there is. Okay, so that's why I'm doing this. And I will be doing several more from now on as news comes out. The Lightning Network operates a, via a grid of channels which can be opened between counterparts such as merchants and consumers and used to transact Satoshis, the smallest units of Bitcoin. A channel is opened through an on-chain Bitcoin transaction in which Bitcoin is locked up on the Bitcoin main chain and unlocked on the Lightning Network. Lightning channels allow for rapidly accelerated Bitcoin transactions in a trust-minimized environment. Channels can, for example, allow merchants to accept Bitcoins for good in goods and services as transactions are near instant. However, it's not as simple as that. On Lightning, nothing works without liquidity and the right kind of liquidity. <clears throat> When a Lightning user opens a basic channel with another party, the amount of Satoshis they lock on the Bitcoin main chain forms the respective channel's total capacity. That capacity sits on the side of the user who opened the channel. Because the channel is at capacity, the user who created the channel can only send sats to the other party but not receive any through that specific channel. <clears throat> the result in it, th This results in some detriments to the user experience. Users that want to receive sats, for example, merchants, must first spend some of the balance in their channel or must convince other node operators to open channels to them. Lightning Labs has set out to solve Lightning's widely felt pain point of inefficient capital allocation by launching a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace that allows node operators to buy and sell liquidity. The market connects buyers and sellers of channel liquidity, a press release obtained by the BTC Times explains existing node operators do not have access to pricing signals to help determine where in the network their outbound liquidity should be allocated and new node operators have no way to signal that they need new inbound liquidity. Lightning Pool brings these two sides together into a single market while allowing them to maintain the custody of their funds. 
Elizabeth Stark, CEO of Lightning Labs, elaborated further to the BTC Times that Pool ensures the efficiency of capital on the Lightning Network. Quote, before Pool, actually sourcing this liquidity was difficult as people used typically use social media or ad hoc arrangements to ask for inbound channels. Plus, when people ask for others to put up capital and open channels to them, there's little incentive to do so. The system is non-custodial. Funds transacted via Lightning Pool are kept in a time lock two of two multi-signature account where the funds are fully in the user's control at all times. Lightning Pool also batches transaction between buyers and sellers of channel liquidity, greatly reducing individual chain fees. Aside from its potentially significant implications for the development of payments on the Lightning Network, Lightning Pool is also the first instance of a Lightning Finance, or LiFi, as Lightning Labs calls it. Uh, <laughs> the first market will be offered through Lightning Pool as a Lightning Channel Lease, or LCL, which is an inbound channel with a pre-agreed duration. Those that sell these leases will earn yield on real Bitcoin without trusting a third party or losing custody of their funds. The yield is derived from lease buyers who must pay a premium for gaining access to inbound liquidity. The yields offered on Lightning Pool leases will initially be determined by the market, which clears on a per-block basis with sealed bids. Uh, Rose Beef, CTO of Lightning Labs, added that the first lease length will be 2016 blocks. One Bitcoin difficulty epoch or approximately two weeks. TM, bro. Lengthier lease durations such as one, two, or six months are expected to be added in the future. According to Lightning Labs, the introduction of Lightning financial products with different maturities will create a natural yield curve, which may provide benchmark rates of return for nascent Bitcoin native capital markets. Lightning Pool also marks the first instance of an application built on what Lightning Labs calls a shadow chain. The shadow chain system is a way for developers to design applications on top of Bitcoin with more complex logic using the Bitcoin script language. While allowing developers to build various financial or commercial applications for Bitcoin, shadow chains ensure that participants always have control of their funds at all times, Roast Beef added. What's more important, or rather, what's important is that at the core of each shadow chain lies the Bitcoin blockchain, which acts as the clearing and security layers for shadow chain applications. Lightning Labs is a leading player in the Lightning Network development. Well, duh. The startup was funded by Twitter uh, and Square Chief Jack Dorsey, who has stated previously that he thinks for Bitcoin to work as a means of payment, it must become more time efficient and cost effective for users. Lightning Labs also counts Robinhood co-founder Vlad Tenev, Kraft Ventures' David Sachs, Proof of Capital, now Raised Capital, and other venture capitalists and Silicon Valley founders as investors. Didn't know Robinhood was, was investing in Lightning. That's probably a signal for the future, and we should probably listen to, listen to that. Uh, let's see here. Nope, we are behind, so I'm going to have to kill those two stories, maybe put them to the back. But right now, let's run the numbers. Futures. It's the future. Now, this is futures and commodities because, well, the markets haven't opened. And why? Because it's 635 in the freaking morning, dude. Oil is down again, three points to the downside. It's going to come in. West Texas is going to come in at $37.6. 
Brent Norsee also has dropped damn near three points. Is going to come in at 39.81. Natural gas is up to the upside almost a point. Uh, it's, but apparently yesterday it had some struggles after the bell opened, apparently, because it was, at, God, it was over three bucks yesterday, and it's down, down below three. $2.98 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold is up again 0.36 points it is going to come in at $1,952 hey Peter Schiff must be happy silver is at $25.83 that is actually a two and a half point move to the upside nice dude nice index futures looks like uh, people are freaking out man but they're freaking out in a very meh sort of way Dow futures are down half a point. Uh, S&P futures are down three quarters of a point. NASDAQ futures are down a little over a point. And the S&P mini is down two thirds of a point. That's going to do it for that. Let's do real money. Real money. Bitcoin, (laughs) $15,567. We damn near near pierced $16,000 last night. Somebody check out Peter Schiff. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, enough of that. <clears throat> I got a low over at, oh, let's see. Where's it going to be? Where's my low? Where's my low? It's going to be at hit BTC. That's going to be $15,450. So about 110 bucks in arbitrage room there. We had 328,500 transactions performed yesterday. That's 13,687 transactions per hour on average. Almost three, almost 3 million Bitcoin were sent through the network in the last 24 hours. That's 122,825 BTC every hour on the hour. And that's $1.9 billion, people. Average transaction value is 8.85 BTC, and the median transaction value is 0.054 BTC. That's about $839. Block times are low, 9 minutes and 32 seconds. Almost 2 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 274.6 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Wow. Only 900 Bitcoin were produced in that 24 hours as part of, as the mining subsidy, 900, 274.6 BTC were taken in fees. Okay. That's, you know, I mean, do the math, but I'm just saying that from a percentage standpoint over the last day, I mean, the fees are almost one third of the subsidy at this point. And I know you hate to see it, but I don't. You need a fee market. After the subsidy goes away, you got to have incentive. And that's where Lightning and shit built on Lightning and the Liquid Network, that's where all that stuff comes into play, right? There's going to be a lot of channel, there's going to be a lot of channel opening and closing and each one is going to take a transaction. Thank God we can batch those transactions down into the main chain, but we're we're, we're seeing we're seeing the beast really come alive. That's what I'm saying. And the fact that we've got almost a third of the subsidy covered in fees already. Dude, that's good news. I mean, I know there's good. Roger hates to see it, but I don't. One Ethereum is going to cost you 440 bucks. Bcash, <laughs> 255 It's been printing all-time lows like for the last three weeks straight. And it did another one like last night, clearly. It got down to like 0.0. 016 or something like that of a Bitcoin. 
Anyway, Litecoin is at 62, BSV at 163, Ethereum Classic at five and a third. Do even Dogecoin is doing well right now, 0 0.0028. And little doggy did 37,905 transactions in the last 24 hours. That beats Ethereum Classic. It certainly beats Bitcoin Cash. Uh, it doesn't beat Litecoin and BSV is uh, uh, their tickers are now actually working. The, they, they apparently reported on the weather 566,334 times in the last 24 hours. That's a lot of weather reporting. Clark Moody is looking at a price of 15,454. There are 41,850 transactions and they're going to have to clear in 78 blocks to clear all this up. We got to see what happens over the weekend. If it clears over the weekend, that could be, you know, that'll that'll be the, well, if it clears over the weekend and you got transactions to do, that dude, bro, that's the time to do it is when you get way 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 down there. If it doesn't clear, this will be what the second weekend in a row that that mempools around the world have not cleared. That'll be interesting. But Let's talk about Lightning. We have 1,030 BTC in the Lightning Network. And even though that, that number really doesn't change the capacity value has, we're up to $15.9 million of liquidity, most of which is probably unbalanced liquidity, the more that I learn about this stuff. Uh, that is over 7,461 nodes. People, we need more nodes. Please open more nodes and please open channels. We have 35,298 total Lightning channels. Tor capacity holding from yesterday, 50.2%. There is 517.14 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And that is being run over 2,484 nodes. We also need more Tor nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Bitcoin miner revenue surge to pre-having levels. Helen Parts is going to tell us about it. She's writing this a couple hours ago for Cointelegraph. As the Bitcoin BTC price <clears throat> is reaching the highest level since January of 2018, Bitcoin mining is getting more profitable due to a number of factors. According to data from blockchain.com, BTC miners revenue has soared to levels not seen since Bitcoin's third halving in May of 2020. That reduced the block miner reward from 12.5 BTC to 6.25 BTC. As such, BTC miners' revenue hit $20.8 million in, on November the 4th, according to blockchain.com, the highest point recorded since September of 2019 when miners' block reward was twice as much as it is now. A spike in BTC miner revenue levels is coming from Bitcoin price doubling since the May halving on, on November the 4th, Bitcoin price reached a new 2020 high at 15950 jumping more than 20% over the past seven days. The jump is also due to the simultaneous rise in Bitcoin transaction fees. As reported by Cointelegraph, Bitcoin transaction fees surged nearly 200% in late October. As such, the percentage of BTC miner revenue from fees has significantly increased, accounting for $4.15 million or roughly 20% of total miner revenue. Amid parabolic <clears throat> trav growth in revenues, some miners are likely to start cashing out at this point. According to, uh, according to analysts at CryptoQuant, some miners may be compelled to start selling BTC since the miner position index is currently at around four. 
Values above two indicate that most miners are selling. <clears throat> Additionally, there is also a noticeable spike in transactions from miners to exchanges as the price crossed above $15,000. However, the amount is still relatively small compared to pre-having outflow levels. Insurance crypto quant CEO Kai Young Zhu commented on the spike in outflows, suggesting that while miners are being cautious, most are still likely anticipating the price of Bitcoin to go higher. Yeah, they're they're gonna sell a little bit. So that's actually that's probably what we're seeing in the uh, the because uh, we've had a couple of double dips since we almost hit sixteen thousand. I was looking at it early this morning, you know, at five o'clock, which no person in their right mind should actually be awake when I'm awake. I I don't know why I do it, but we had a double dip in the price, so that's probably some miners letting go of some of their Bitcoin. So if but be aware, it's not going to be very much longer before there is just no Bitcoin to buy. Oh, my God. And at that point, are you really going to sell it into fiat to then go buy something like a house or a car or whatever, whatever it is? Honestly, why go through all that work? Just ex if you're a merchant, start accepting Bitcoin today. Figure it out. And for those people that can't figure it out, start crying on Twitter as to why the hell they can't get a hold of people who know how to do this shit for them. We need consultants. I would like to actually be your consultant, but I got to learn how to do all this shit myself. And it's like, it's like, it's, it's like ranching or what I'm trying to say, wrangling cats. I mean, every time you look around, there's a, either a new cat has come into the fold and you're like, God, I got to go get this one. I mean, it's, it's a mess, but we need merchants to be taking Bitcoin. We need people to be paying their shit in Bitcoin. We need consultants to be teaching people, merchants and users uh, or customers, how to use Bitcoin and how to do lightning and how to do batching and how to, pro you know, how to think about liquidity. And we need more companies that, that help us think about liquidity in ways that we don't have to watch. It, but it's happening, guys. It's happening. It makes me... It makes me happy that I'm in Bitcoin and not in compound finance because therefore it could just froze $1 million in Ethereum tokens. Ah, uh, yeah. You hate to see it happen unless you don't. Colin Harper writing this for Coindesk.com. <clears throat> yeah, let's see, when was this? Oh, this was yesterday. Yes. Some $1 million in Ethereum tokens is locked in a new DeFi app after its developer made changes to the protocol's interest rate smart contracts. <laughs> Uh, DeFi lending platform percent finance, a fork of compound finance, wrote in a blog post on November 4th that that some of its money markets experienced an issue that can result in permanent locking of user funds. The team froze money markets specifically for USDC, Ethereum, and wrapped Bitcoin, or that shitty WBTC. A total of 446,000 USDC 28 WBTC and 313 ETH worth approximately $1 million are currently frozen. Half of those immobile funds belong to Percent Finance's community mod team, according to the Post. Withdrawals for other markets are open, but the team is urging users not to borrow from any of the Percent Finance markets in the meantime. The Discord discussion regarding the vulnerability, VFAT, an Ethereum and Percent Finance developer, said... The developer who forked percent finance from compound finance used old contracts from compound instead of newer, much better versions. VFAT moved to upgrade some of the smart contracts, specifically those that handle the interest rate for the platform's loans. 
After VFAT finalized the changes and deployed them, he realized the signatures for the old contracts and the new contracts were incompatible, so transactions could not be signed to them. Quote, the old and the new interest rate models have different function signatures on these all-important functions. He said in the Discord chat, quote, essentially the token contract is trying to find an interest rate function that doesn't exist, so it always fails in every interaction, end quote. VFAT also said in the chat that Compound Team has confirmed that this means the contract is bricked. That's not what you want to hear if you've got, if you're, you know what, if you have been playing around with this, you deserve everything you get. We warned you, we warned you, we warned you, you didn't listen and you got bricked too effing bad. In direct messages with Coindesk, VFAT said it is still too early in, on in the recovery process for the definitive plan, especially considering no one has had a chance to speak with Center or BitGo yet, the issuers of the USDC, crypto dollar, and wrapped BTC token, respectively. Because USDC and WBTC have backdoor, backdoors into their smart contracts, these issuers would be able to blacklist, the, here we go, blacklist the addresses with locked funds, after the blacklisting, Bitcoin Center could then reissue new tokens to the old token owner, something Tether did for a trader who mistakenly transferred $1 million of USDT tokens into the wrong address. Cry me a fucking river. A Center representative told Coindesk that com the company can only meddle with USDC transactions if it receives a valid binding court order from a competent U.S. court that has authority over Center. Representatives for BitGo were not available for comment at press time. For other recovery efforts, VFAT said one early stage proposal suggests launching new contracts for the USDC lending markets. Though 27% of the loans are locked in the old contracts, these new contracts would allow borrowers to pay back the rest of their loans and so retrieve their collateral and pay lenders. But Jesus, what a shit show. Honestly, if you were messing with this after all of us maximalists told you not to, and you got bricked, I have no sympathy for you. I have none. I, I just, I can't have any sympathy for your ass, dude. But let's continue with global law firm launching high value asset token platform, TOKO. That's T-O-K-O. This space is becoming unimaginative by the second. Cointelegraph's Joshua Mapperson is going to tell us about DLA Piper's new tokenization platform, and it's already completed its first asset tokenization with a piece of fine art. Call that fart for short. Ah, get never mind. Toco, a new tokenization platform targeting high-value assets, is launched as a proof of concept by tokenizing a fine piece of art. The platform is a collaboration between internal law firm DLA Piper, which operates in more than 40 countries. Aldersgate DLS and Hadira Hashgraph. Although it has the ability to function across any asset class, the team identified the best use case for high value assets in alternative asset classes such as real estate and art. End quote. Toco <coughs> excuse me, will initially function in markets that have a clear regulatory framework on asset tokenization such as the UK, Singapore, Switzerland, US, Canada, and potentially Australia. However, the team is also currently examining the local restrictions and regulations in other potential markets and aims to provide this offering one way or another to all of our clients, end quote. 
On its first day of launch, Togo completed the first tokenization of a piece of fine artwork commissioned and purchased by a group of DLA Piper Hong Kong Parpers. DLA Piper technology partner Scott Thiel, I wonder if he's Peter's brother, said the platform is the culmination of, quote, years of research and development into the legal issues surrounding security token creation and funding. <laughs> years. Years. What? Two? <laughs> he noted the difficulties current platforms faced in delivering such offerings at scale. A spokesperson for DLA Piper said that TOCO can reduce the risk of fraud through the strict timestamp audit trials created through blockchain functionality and that tokenization also enables exit opportunities. Yeah, like rug pulls and exit scams. <laughs> Sorry, that's me. Quote, our clients understand the technology and smart contracts and see the benefits tokenization can provide in terms of trust and efficiency. It can create and functionalizing assets. DLA Piper has also engaged BCW Group as program manager to shape the go-to market strategy and form reg tech infrastructure partnerships in Luther Systems who act as a systems integrator for TOKO. In February 2019, DLA Piper launched their blockchain and digital assets practice to aid companies seeking blockchain adoption. Last week, head of fintech at DLA Martin Bartlam and DLA Piper associate Marina Talunululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululululul
Square's investment in Bitcoin was unsurprising, considering CEO Jack Dorsey's previous investments in Bitcoin startups. In March 2018, Dorsey backed Lightning Labs, a startup that builds infrastructure around the Bitcoin Lightning Network. The company's Bitcoin allocation could have led a number of Bitcoin users to rise for two main reasons. First, it could have led people or could have led people to believe that a new trend of institutional institutional frenzy around Bitcoin would begin. And two, it might have encouraged retail investors to take a longer term term stance towards Bitcoin. Yeah, we need more retailers doing this stuff. There are several fundamental metrics that are often used to evaluate the overall health of the Bitcoin blockchain. These metrics include the likes of hash rate, unique addresses, and daily transaction volume. The Bitcoin price increasing in tandem with unique addresses is critical as it suggests overall user activity is supplementing the rally. The Bitcoin uptrend is being complemented with genuine retail and institutional demand, which makes it more sustainable. Yes, yes it does. Again, we, you know, start if bitcoin becomes to a price where you can sell like 0.1 bitcoin and i don't know buy it like you know pay your rent for like three years figure out if you can get your landlord to accept bitcoin directly don't automatically not do that at least give it a shot okay at least give it a shot and see if they'll take bitcoin instead of having you have to convert it into fiat because at this point, fiat's becoming an, an, a necess- or an unnecessary extra step. And there's no, reasons, there's no reasons in the world to do that kind of shit. Um, let's see here. What are we doing? Oh, yeah. Financial advisors. Bitcoin is the next Amazon. Now, this was written for Coindesk on November the 6th by Andy Edstrom. And this is an interesting one. This is what skeptical investors are saying. One, it's a bubble. Two, it's just another competitor among, you know, many in the same field. Three, it only has a few million users. Four, it's used for crime. Five, it won't be able to scale up enough to grow to its valuation. It doesn't generate cash flow and probably never will. The year is 2005 and they are talking about Amazon, which one has recently suffered a bubble and a bust in which a, its stock lost over 90% of its value, still has plenty of online retail competitors, only a few million monthly active users is regularly used to evade sales tax, seems unlikely to grow into its, into its valuation, and generates no cash flow. Having recovered somewhat from its lows after the dot-com bubble burst, the stock at the time is trading at $35 per share, and there is a lively debate about how overvalued it is. Fast forward to 2020, Amazon stock trades around $3,300 per share, 90X of its 2005 price, and it has single-handedly driven a significant portion of the total return of the S&P 500 in recent years. Now wind, the ba- wind back the clock again and imagine that you are a wealth manager back in 2005. If you have zero investment allocation to Amazon, you are probably in the majority. Now, fast forward again and imagine you are a wealth manager in 2020. If you have zero investment allocation to Amazon, you are probably out of business. I am a wealth manager. And in 2005, a lot of people, myself included, underestimated Amazon's total addressable market. At first, we thought it was an online book sales store. Then it was a global book sales. Then it was online purchases of stuff. Then it was global online purchases of stuff. Then it was the cloud infrastructure required to support this e-commerce edifice. Then, quote, 
Wealth managers who didn't buy Bitcoin or their clients will be like those wealth managers who never bought Amazon out of business. End quote. Amazon's success is partly due to great management, but it also comes from the creation of a well-functioning internet-native and therefore network-native market for online commerce that is open to all suppliers. Amazon couldn't have become the everything store without opening up the marketplace to third-party sellers. This increased the availability, <clears throat> the available inventory of items for sale and cemented Amazon's position as the place that everyone visits to buy just about everything. Thus, Amazon became a major internet platform whose market capitalization exceeds $1.5 trillion, even while continuing to munch away at a total addressable market that is multiples larger even today. Amazon only has 7% share of the retail market. Really? It still has ample room to grow. Holy shit, I had no idea that Amazon was only 7% of retail. That seems kind of incredible. These days, my wealth management peers are still making the same mistake with Bitcoin that they did with Amazon in 2005. But now, more than a decade after 10,000 Bitcoins were exchanged for two pizzas, Bitcoin has pretty clearly won the market for digital hard currency, just like Amazon became the obvious winner of the e-commerce market years ago, and yet still continues to gobble up share of this enormous potential market. Bitcoin still has very far to run. Gold, which is the world's preferred hard money, is roughly a $10 trillion asset. At $275 billion today, Bitcoin's share of the hard money market is therefore less than 3%. But Bitcoin's total potential includes the overall market for money and safe value storage. This overall market is multiples larger than the market for gold. This suggests that Bitcoin has captured less than 1% of its total addressable market. Skeptics retort that Bitcoin will never be able to innovate or launch new products as, official, as effectively as Bezos and company. Really? The opposite is true. Instead of a CEO-driven management team with a limited number of employees, Bitcoin is an open platform with thousands of brilliant, diligent software developers and entrepreneurs building on-ramps, applications, and additional useful products on top of Bitcoin. Like the third-party merchants who provide the additional inventory that made Amazon the automatic destination to buy stuff on the internet, these thousands of talented people are turning Bitcoin into the automatic place to put your internet-based wealth. So, as an investment, Bitcoin today is roughly where Amazon was 15 years ago. And Bitcoin's value is likely to grow as dramatically in the next 15 years as Amazon's did in the previous 15. As a result, there will be two kinds of investment portfolios. Those of people who were wise enough to own some Bitcoin and those who weren't. But there will only be one kind of wealth manager. Wealth managers who didn't buy Bitcoin for their clients will be like those wealth managers who never bought Bitcoin out of business. So there you go. That's awesome. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. A terrible joke brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, <clears throat> After playing guitar for years, I thought I could learn to play the piano, but it's not an easy instrument to pick up. Yes, sir. That's what you get for playing with fire, man. That's that's a that's a terrible joke right there. That's that's a terrible joke. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and, and end this off. But again, a few words about what's going on with lightning. Um, and this is just you know sort of one of my theses that I use as an operational way of thinking about 
the future, now, uh, you know, and, and what I saw in the past always informs that. It's not, you know, not the best way to, to be informed about what happens in the future, but, you know, hey, we got not a whole lot more. I'm just saying that when Roger was running around saying that Bitcoin was free, anonymous, and uh, fast, uh, none of those were actually true. Not only were not, like, not, not only was it a not pick two of the three, none of that shit's true. It's not fast, it's not cheap, and it's not slow. And in fact, when Bitcoin was like, you know, I don't know, there were times when Bitcoin's price was nowhere, no, like we're talking maybe double digits, like 22 bucks, that the amount of hash rate that was on the network at the time, okay, so the amount of miners that was on the time meant that the that there were times back then that you were paying $213 for, or $213 satoshi per byte okay let's say let's say 210 satoshis per byte um there were times back then when you were paying that but what was it we were still thinking in terms of fiat see the the mempool is has always had times where it's clogged the mempool mempools you know i won't i won't get it i'm just going to say the mempool for right now it's it's a misnomer but let's just go with it this thing has always gotten jammed up every once in a while. It depends on when you were in, you know, when you were in Bitcoin's history. But what's changed is the value of Bitcoin versus the fiat dollar. There's, I read, what the hell was it? I read something yesterday. Somebody was responding to somebody and said, why would I ever, oh, he's responding to Peter Schiff's tweet and said, why would I ever buy Bitcoin when it is pegged to the fiat dollar? And I'm like, Wow, not only is that gravely stupid and is going to cause you to remain staying poor, but it does reflect the possibility that we have we have a, a real big problem in being able to break away from thinking about the quote unquote dollar. One Bitcoin is worth one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin may be worth a four hundred you know, thousand acre ranch one day. I don't know. But what I'm becoming increasingly, you know, what I'm increasingly wanting to get away from is saying Bitcoin is worth $15,000. It's an all-time high, bro. What? An all-time high against what? A piece of paper that is so disrespected by the people that print that piece of paper that they will just print any number of those pieces of paper? Honestly, that's an all-time high. All-time high literally should be a Bitcoin is worth 600, like, you know, a, one section of arable land on uh, over water in a region that gets at least 15 inches of rain a year and has all water rights on the water that is below it. That's worth one Bitcoin to me right now. I'm not going to find that at $15,000, but I guarantee you there's somebody else out there saying, dude, I would totally sell this section of land for one Bitcoin because they know what it's ultimately going to be worth. And we need to stop thinking about that worth in terms of the United States fiat frickin' dollar or the Australian piece of crap dollar or God forbid that Canadian garbage that they're using up there. I mean, they're just, they're, I mean, you want to talk about money printer, go burr, check out Canada. Makes us look like we're, you know, trading bubblegum cards over here, man. They are like professional money printers. I mean, they, they make freaking counterfeiters look like they don't know what they're doing. Okay. But the, the notion that thinking about lightning 
in the same terms that we were thinking about being told to think about by the likes of Roger Ver back in the day that it's going to be fast, cheap, and anonymous. Do not believe any three of those. It's okay if I'm wrong. It's okay if I tell you to believe that and you believe it and, you're, and you end up being wrong because there's only one way to be wrong, that it does continue to be cheap, that it does continue to hide your you know, privacy or that gives you privacy, and that it always continues to be fast. I don't mind being wrong about that. So that's why I'm going to say is I think it would be in your best interest when somebody says that lightning is always going to be cheap, you should probably say, you don't know that. We have to wait and see. And if it does become expensive, layer three. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.